Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. I also wanted to say that today's episode is sponsored by my book. I have a book coming out. I'm so proud of this, guys. Um, the links are already up. I'll have them in the show notes. But the book is called Modern Still Life, From Fruit Bowls to Disco Balls. It is my take on a step-by-step painting book. I am really excited about it. Not only does it have like motivational tips and tricks to keep you going in your practice, but it also has clear and beautiful and full color breakdowns of the step-by-step process in my paintings. So I could not be more excited about it. If you wanted to check it out, pre-order it, it would help me more than you even know. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari. Thanks for being here. On today's show, I have my very first guest of season two, and it's Hannah Cole, the artist and founder behind Sunlight Tax, a financial and tax service for creators and home to money bootcamp. Hannah and Sunlight Tax do such amazing work to make the financial part of running a creative business less scary, which it can be if you don't have a clue about taxes, the intricacies of deductions, expenses, and how to pay yourself as an artist. But thankfully, Hannah is here to provide relief, and she's particularly qualified to speak on the concerns of artists because she is one. And it was a familiar feeling of stress around taxes and money management that led Hannah to go to accounting school and eventually start Sunlight Tax as a resource for artists who find themselves in the position that Hannah was once in herself. So I hope you enjoy our conversation around the business side of being an artist and why taxes don't have to be the dreaded bully that we sometimes make them out to be. And by the way, if you are interested in learning more about Hannah's work and perhaps signing up for her money bootcamp, you can find all that information and more in the episode show notes. Enjoy and happy creating. Hi, Hannah Cole. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited that you're going to be on the podcast and chatting with my audience. Um, Before we jump in, though, I wanted to see if you could introduce yourself. I'm a big fan and I have taken some of your free courses. So like I'm fangirling right now, but could you introduce yourself to my audience, who you are and how you got interested in both art and money and taxes? Sure. Thank you so much, Sari. I uh, let's see. Well, I was an artist first. I knew I wanted to be an artist from age five oh, <laughs> holding crayons. That. Cause I love to draw. And, uh, and I just, I did it. I went for it. So the, the tax part of me, I'm also a tax professional, but that came much later. That basically came because I had such ugly, awful experiences as a professional artist, trying to get the information I needed for my professional practice. Uh, we can talk all about that. Yeah. Um, but so I really just, I, taxes hit me like a shovel to the face when I became a professional artist. And so finally, you know, with a little bit, there's a little bit of a story there, but, you know, I had a baby in New York city, did not have enough money and decided, okay, I'm just going to go all in. I'm going to go back to school for accounting and I'm going to start this business that I think needs to exist in the world, which is a sunlight tax. And it exists now. And it's basically my, my mission is to, help artists and creative people who, who work for ourselves, which makes our taxes harder, basically to just like educate my community of creative weirdos, uh, in a compassionate way that understands how important the work we do in the world is. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And I, I love that, you know, you came into it sort of with like 
I think with a lot of us, like seeing how if you don't learn about the financial side, it can really kind of sneak up on you and really put you in a predicament where you're not like protected and things come at you that are really unexpected. And so I feel like that's probably what brings a lot of people to finally saying, okay, I'm going to figure out the tax thing. That was certainly my experience. I kind of Mm -hmm. ignored it and got by. And then when eventually I had to sit down and, and, and figure out my taxes. So I'm sure a lot of people resonate with that. And I love that you took that passion and turned it into something that's such a helpful resource and honestly, such a gap in the market, which brings me to kind of my, my first question for you, which is that artists have a reputation of not really being like math people or numbers people, and, or at least not wanting to get into the nitty gritty of running a business. What's your advice to artists thinking of starting a small business who might be hesitant to uh, (laughs) dig into the financial side as a business owner? Mm. So I think And, you know, I do a lot of like speaking and educating about this topic. And I start every talk by addressing the artist stereotype. And the reason is that I think like, I always try to bring my own experience. Like, so here's what we actually do as artists. We are some of the most resourceful people that exist. Where's the part where we're not capable? (laughs) Like, I just think that's really like, I think that that stereotype, um, it just exists from it, it's only perpetuated by people who either don't want to take the time to understand what artists really do all day, which is a fair number of people, yeah. or who don't want to pay us. <laughs> Ooh, that's good. Now I could dive into that statement all day. <laughs> and yeah. we can, I'm happy to. But I, I just, the fact is like, you know, as you know, what we do is like, we're so resourceful. We go out and we kind of skill up in the areas that we know we need. Like none of us is born a grant writer, but if you want to get a grant or get yourself into public art, you'll kind of get yourself up to speed on how to write an effective grant. And you understand it might take you a few tries to get good at it, but then you do. And there you go. Taxes is no different from that. So it's not like there's anything inherently uh, hard about it. You know, artists, if you literally, if you've applied for a grant, you've done something harder than a tax return right up front and with a deadline and with competition. (laughs) So yeah, I just kind of feel like that stereotype is something we got to talk about because um, it just doesn't serve us. You know, if you tell yourself a story, you're bad at this, you might remain bad at it. um, But you know, nobody, nobody knows these, nobody knows what a solo 401k is coming out of the womb. It's something you just have to learn about. Yeah. Yeah. And to touch on that point, that's beautifully explained. And I think already I'm hoping people's like shoulders are sinking and they're starting to be like, okay, maybe I can listen to a whole podcast about taxes right now. But what you said about like, um, you know, creative labor being undervalued, I, I actually think that that's a big part of why people might kind of turn a blind eye to like the financial side of things, because you're so right about artists being problem solvers. I mean, even in college, that's what my professor said, is like your professional problem solvers. And I think when you undervalue yourself, and I think that happens because culturally artists tend to be undervalued, it creates mm-hmm. this weird divide where there doesn't need to be like your problem solving doesn't have to stop at your account, you know, your tax books. And, you know, you can continue that resourcefulness even into that. But I'm wondering, I want you to, if you could expand on like that, that lack of value and how you see that show up in people's uh, relationship with like the tax and money side of their business. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really easy as an artist, you know, we exist in community with each other, which is the good part, but so many of us are so underpaid. And so I think when you're in an environment where that's the norm and everyone around you is suffering from the same thing, you can start to feel like that's normal and like it's okay. Um, And I think 
where it becomes a problem is when you stop thinking of money as what it actually is, which is neutral, and you start thinking of money as bad. When you like, as long as you have an attitude where money, you understand that money itself has no agency and it's a tool and it will amplify the power of whoever has it. So if you're Dolly Parton and you want to help children have more yeah. books and like build a park and send everyone in your hometown to college, you can do amazing things with all your money. Um, and if you're, I'm not maybe going to name a bad guy, but you could probably gesture towards plenty of people. Yes. I, I get you there. No, no worries. I don't want to get any bad guys coming after me. Yeah. Yeah. You're like a total dick. You can yeah. do horrible things with your money. So it's just like, we don't think of hammers as evil. You could do terrible things with a hammer. You could also build a house with a hammer. So like right. money is a tool. Um, and I think having that nice neutral attitude about it, I think that's, that's what I want people to have. I think a lot of us artists, especially, but I've also seen it in like people in the caring professions, healing professions, people who are sort of chronically underpaid because of like, uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, race, um, et cetera, like can also develop this attitude because they are also existing in a world of people who are underpaid and they can start feeling like money's the bad guy. Yeah. So if you think about it, if you actually think of money as bad, then are you going to really make a heavy effort towards maxing out an IRA for yourself every single year? Or do you have, are you fighting against an attitude that says there's something about that that makes you a bad guy? Like, you're just not going to do the thing you need to do if you actually have that negative attitude. Um, you know, likewise, are you going to raise your prices? Or are you going to negotiate with the next client? Like, you will actually begin to make daily decisions that undercut yourself if you have that attitude that shifted from neutral to negative. So it's just a sort of caution that I want to put out there for people. Yeah. Yeah, beautifully explained. And I, I love those analogies. And I totally resonate with the, you know, the anxiety of money being a negative. You know, I grew up in a house where I watched my mom and dad be their labor pretty exploited. They pay, were paid minimum wage in the 2000s. So like $5, $6 an hour. And, mm. you know, I think that created a relationship where I did, you know, I don't know if I would say fear, but like definitely a lot of anxiety around money. And I found that as a business owner, you know, especially if you come at it, valuing yourself first and really fixing that relationship that it becomes easier to view that money as neutral. And so I'm just tacking on to what you're saying is like, you know, if you don't kind of know where to start with that, then like creating that value within yourself of like, I, you know, I do deserve this pay or deserve to negotiate this contract, you know, the risk of them walking away that happens, but you know, that all of the things sort of fall into place more easily. If you have a core of like, I am valuable, I am worth this. I'm, you will not let myself be exploited, you know, to the best of our abilities, but yeah, beautifully said. Yeah. And you know what, Sari, I think, um, I think it really helps to do some like perspective taking of like, who's on the other side of your art, who receives it, who benefits from it, mm -hmm. because it can help you value yourself better. Like, I know that people kind of get alligator arms, like get short arms when it comes to like paying for the art. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love but, that. I'm actually picturing the alligator, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, but like you, uh, if you think about it, like we're the empathy builders of our culture. We're the people like bridging divides and like giving transformational experiences to people. And, and I think even when you do something like, you know, you make mugs or, you know, I have this friend who 
has a candle company oh, and, uh, well, yeah, you know, like in a way, sure. It's just a candle, but you know what? Like she hires like a disproportionately large number of BIPOC women and pays really, really fair, awesome wages. And so like just a candle, I don't know. She's like creating economic opportunity for people who really need it. So like, don't, don't put that word just in front of what you do. Like if you make a, a mug that feels really good in somebody's hand and makes them feel like they kind of know where to get the good stuff and they're, you know, like makes them feel in the know, like that's a lot of what we do. We provide that kind of comfort, warmth, empathy. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And it's a connection that I feel like, you know, I feel like you, you miss when you go buy like a bulk, you know, candle from Amazon and it might be a good deal, but you're missing out. And, you know, I will say personally, I have found that people do like to invest in that and you can build that as part of your message. And when you, you know, I think that gets back to the, the valuing of it all, but when you tie that into your messaging, even with something like sales, which can feel so sterile, but if you continue your message and your, your mission into how you sell, that that will show up in your audience. So my next question is, um, you know, there was a study, I think in 2017, by Art Finder that found that about 75% of artists in the U.S. made less than $10,000 a year. Um, and I know there isn't a threshold for when you should start taking your business seriously. I'm a big proponent of like practice even while you're just making a couple sales a year. Um, but what do you say to artists who might think they don't make enough money for the work to like to invest in like financial guidance or to really take the time and energy to sort of figure out their taxes and figure out how to structure their business? Mm, such a good question. Um, well, I mean, just to give you some facts, like on the IRS side, you're you're entitled to all the benefits of a business the moment you show the intent to make a profit. And um, usually the signal for that is advertising. So the moment mm -hmm. you advertise, that's notice that that is way before you even bring a dollar in the door, let alone before those dollars equal the expenses going out the door. In other words, you meet the break-even point. Break-even point is yeah. just when your income finally matches up to your expenditure and you get to zero, you go from negative to zero. Yes. So like enough is a big, I mean, that is a whole conversation in art. I mean, in mm -hmm. our society generally, but yes. in art, yes. like what is enough? But to the IRS, you're a business if you're advertising. So you're entitled to all this wonderful benefit in the tax code of getting to take your home studio deduction, take mileage deduction, your supplies, like all this stuff, because literally like it's, we live in like it or hate it. We live in a serious capitalist country and um, capital is, uh, is really prized here and it's made easy and you get to benefit from that as a, you know, a one man show. Um, and I think that's really cool. And I just wish artists took more advantage of it. That's honestly what I want in the world is for, you know, more artists to realize that even if you make, you know, even if your profit is a hundred dollars, you're still allowed to take your still profiting. Yeah. 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 And no, that's, that's yeah. great. And I, I think, you know, I can envision myself listening to this conversation, you know, 10, 15, 15 years ago and thinking, well, like, what does she mean by advantage of business? To me, I would think like, okay, well, that's more paperwork and like, oh, do you have to make a profit? And I know that that's probably shining a light on my naivety, but I really did. I felt so intimidated by the prospect of running a business. Could you just lay out quickly, like, what are the advantages and what, what are the things that you find that people are most scared of when they think, okay, I've got to run a business? Yeah. Great question. Well, first of all, like, cause I, I sensed a hint of guilt there. Like 
there's no tax education in this country. Like, where would you ever know this stuff from? <laughs> yeah, so I feel like people feel like they're sort of wrong for not knowing it, but nobody knows it. Yeah. Um, Good point. <laughs> um, which is, you know, a heck of a place to start from, but you know, <laughs> gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so your options when it comes to just paying taxes, which believe me, you don't get to opt out of, um, your options are you can either treat your art like a hobby or like a business. Those are, those are the options you could do. You could go further down the road and like form a nonprofit with a board and all that. That's, that's a little fancier, yeah, but by yeah. default, you're either a hobby or a business. So, you know, to understand it's fine to be a hobby. You can choose to do that. That's fine. If you happen to make any money as a hobbyist, you still have to report it and you still have to pay taxes on it, mm -hmm. but you're not allowed to take any expenses. You're also not allowed to get any startup expenses or ever have a loss, right? So that's hobby that's just cool. in the tax code. Okay. Alternatively, if you are advertising, um, if you have a profit motive, that's the IRS definition of a business, then you get to call yourself a business. And if you're a business, as opposed to a hobby, then you are allowed to take expenses. So any ordinary necessary expense of your business, I'm using air quotes because <laughs> ordinary and necessary is the IRS words. That's actually what is allowed. Gotcha. Um, I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> um, you're allowed to take those as deductions against your income. So if I sell a painting for $2,000, but I spent $1,000 on supplies and doing site visits because maybe it was a plein air painting um, and maybe taking a client out to lunch that helped me get that sale, then those that $1,000 of expenses, because I have a profit motive, because I'm a business and not a hobby, now I'm allowed to deduct those $1,000 of expenses off of the $2,000 of income. So I'm only going to have to pay tax on $1,000, right? On the difference. I pay tax on profit, not gross income, which is the big number. Gotcha. Um, whereas a hobbyist, if they sold that $2,000 painting, they pay tax on $2,000. So in my view, it's really freaking hard to be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I... Yeah. Why, you know, why not take, if you are really a professional and you're really trying to make some money from it, why not take advantage? Why not do that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I think that's a wonderful you know, explanation. And, you know, something you kind of said earlier that really spoke to me was, you know, in the eyes of like the tax code and maybe our financial system at large, you know, if you want to show that you value something that you, you, you kind of have it play or you, you, you make a business out of it basically in, in the eyes of, uh, of, of business. And I feel like sometimes, you know, and I think it's a cultural thing that like, there's this real, I think as some artists, there's this dread of like calling it a business and you want to do it for the art and the love of it. And even when you were mentioning all those things that could be right off, you like to think, well, I'm going out to, to paint plein air. Cause I love the nature of it all. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, it's a sign that you sort of value what you're doing, not that you're some cutthroat business person to really mm -hmm. invest and even just identifying how valuable those things are. And this brings me to kind of another point with, with people pricing their artwork is I get asked about that a lot. And I always tell people, you know, start with just calculating everything that goes into the art. And mm. people are always shocked at what all they can consider part of that, you know, like your labor, your studio, you know, the cost of your brushes, and it can be hard to calculate that out or not hard, but just take a little bit of an 
intention to calculate that out. But, mm-hmm. you know, people often undervalue their art. They're like, oh, I'll price it for $50. And then I have them do that math. And they're like, well, that's $117 just for just for materials right there. And I think the act of really starting to become familiar with what goes into your art doesn't have to be this cutthroat capitalist act. It can actually just be an act of like putting some real value in like a larger sense into what goes into your artwork. I love how you say that. I think that's so wise. Yeah, I totally I also, you know, you touched on another thing that I would love to just talk about is like this feeling of being divided between like true artistic motives or artistic integrity versus making money. And I, I don't think they have to be in opposition at all. And in fact, this is something that I like to teach when I do these workshops, but if you think about it, like the IRS speaks the language of business and to the IRS, you should also try to speak in the language of business because that's the language they understand. They really do. They do not know what we do all day. They don't really know what a professional artist looks like. And often we're in the position of having to teach them and Mm -hmm. that's fine. We can do that. But, um, but the thing is, you don't have to, you do have to have a demonstrable profit motive in order to be able to take all the benefits of the tax code, to be mm-hmm. able to take your take your supplies and all of your expenses, which are many, as you just laid out, are yeah. more than you often <laughs> realize they were. Um, but it does not mean you have to change your other motives. It doesn't mean it can't coexist with, with um, incredible artistic integrity, incredible vision, um, you know, a desire to like truly and deeply connect with your audience, whoever that is, an audience of eight people in the universe or totally valid. Know. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> and also like, there's nothing about having a profit motive that means you have to talk that way in the art world, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you can code switch. It's okay to like talk to your friends, go to an art opening. You're never going to go walk up. Like I have a gallery here in town and I would never walk in the door and be like, okay, Tracy, time for this show to sell out. Like I'm going to, what do you need from me? Should I put rhinestones on my painting? Should I like, what's selling really well these days, right? Like just look at the explore page and use that as your roadmap. Yeah, no. Exactly. Like never, never in a million years would I ever speak like that. But if the IRS is coming and investigating whether I have a profit motive or not, I'm going to use IRS language that they understand. Like Yes, in fact, I do change my methods and materials, you know, according to consumer demand or I do, you know, like, yeah, so just understanding that you don't have to apply the same lens in every scenario. Yeah, I think that's such a good analogy of thinking of it instead of like two opposite things of just being bilingual, being able to say to the IRS, you know, I'm I'm smel- selling and making art and trying to make it as a business. And then at the same time, you know, be like, and I'm interested in thrift stores and colors and light. And you know what I mean? Like being able to do both instead of having them sort of as opposing entities. I think that's, that's brilliant. Um, and I will just to clarify, you know, demonstrative profit motive is that that's just someone saying like, I am trying to make artwork and have it sell. That's kind of all that is. Yeah. So there's actually, this is fascinating if you're a person like me, kind of a tax nerd, but there's actually um, a nine point test that the IRS uses when they audit artists and galleries. And you can look at it. It's public information. 
Um, Interesting. And this nine point test actually defines what profit motive means. It's actually a really good exercise to look at it. If you want, I could um, put something in the show notes. And yeah, I'll, I'll link it. it. Yeah. Um, but it's actually really interesting to look at those nine points and look at how an auditor actually would come and look at your art business and examine it through that lens. Because although you're probably not in the habit of looking at your art business in that way, it can be done and it doesn't mean you're doing anything kind of wrong. So like they'll look at thing like things like how much time do you spend? Well, for most artists, like you probably spend a lot of your time on it. And actually a lot of artists don't realize how much time because it's not just studio time. It's bookkeeping time, Instagram time, list building time, like whatever time you're spending photographing your work and adjusting the teeny tiny JPEGs. I don't know about yeah. you, but I spend oh, a yeah. lot of time to that. <laughs> totally. All of that, all of that counts for amount of time. Like that's a marker of a professional versus a hobbyist, right? If you spend one hour every two months, you're probably not a professional. Right. But if you're spending 30 hours a week, yeah, you probably are a professional. It probably is real. Um, there's things like how big the profit is if you don't make a profit every year, but occasionally you make a very big profit, that will become a factor. Um, there's actually one factor, which I think, you know, some insider knowledge of the art world can actually really help you make a better defense here because, for example, like how much the stuff appreciates, the value of the underlying assets appreciate, yeah. that is a factor. And art actually does appreciate in value. So that's actually, that actually can be, an element to our practice. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a rarity certain. too, because most things depreciate, they get stuck in storage. And so that's a real, I feel like in a lot of ways, artists have one thing I've learned from getting better with taxes and finances is that artists actually kind of have a lot of superpowers, it feels like. And, you know, because of, again, that weird perceived divide between finances and art making, I feel mm -hmm. like sometimes we can blind ourselves. Like I always say, even in the world of like sales and marketing, like those big boards of people trying to market and sell, you know, wish they had even an ounce of the connection to an audience that an artist has. And oh my gosh. Yes. I, I feel like it's similar with, with, with taxes and finances, where there are probably a lot of things that are just our superpowers that we just don't always see. It's so true. It's so true. I, oh my gosh. Can I tell you a story? Absolutely. When I went back to school for accounting, I was, a I was coming in as an artist, right? Mm -hmm. I'm in an accounting school as the weirdo. And um, I love it. I love that you went to accounting school, by the way, that's <laughs> legendary. <laughs> so I have all my artist tricks for like getting noticed in a crowded field and like, you know, doors do not open easily in the art world. So you have to push so hard. And um, what I found is that in the accounting world, they just swing open with no effort. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, just as an example, they brought in a partner from this big accounting firm called Ernst & Young. And they brought in this partner like as a sort of networking event. Um, that we were allowed to go and like meet this guy and ask him questions. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put my artist hat. I'm going to do the things I would do. I'm going to wear something very noticeable. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going like a bright color. I'm going to sit in the front row. I'm going to research this guy before I ever show up. I'm going to learn more about him, his interests, his bio. Mm -hmm. I'm going to form two intelligent questions that I can ask 
And then I'm going to make sure I ask them, right. And demonstrate that I have done my homework. And so I came into this room. I did exactly that. I'm wearing my stripes and my bright red skirt. And I raised my hand and I asked this great question. And I, it was like the doors just flew open so easily that I was surprised. Like he, no one in there asked a single question during the whole session. Everyone was just like looking at their phones the whole time. Um, And I just was like, oh my gosh, everyone in this room just takes for granted that their life is going to be pretty easy. Cause you know what? There is a lot of work for accountants. Yeah. (laughs) They'll never not be work. What is it? Death and taxes. Yeah. You'll be employed forever. (laughs) Yeah. It was amazing. So this guy was like, oh my gosh, who is this lady? And he was totally impressed with me really because like, I thought it would take, I, I just was used to the art world where everyone does this, you know, everyone does their homework. You kind of can't just half-ass it. No, exactly what you were describing of like your preparation sounds like every time I've ever wanted to get a grant or work for a, you know, submit something to a gallery. Yeah. You do your research. Who else is on their roster? You, you study them, you, it's the whole thing. And then you do it a hundred times and you get in maybe once or twice. And that is at every level of the game. So no, I, I would have been shocked too, if that says anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it just shocked me when like, oh my gosh, there's so much room for mediocre accountants in the world. I'm used to a world where only the best kind of make it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love that anecdote. I'm thinking of you in like stripes with like a cowboy hat or something. I'm sure it wasn't that outrageous, but it's funny to think about. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have another question for you. So I, um, I earned my degree in art in back in 2014. So things may have changed since then, but you know, I, I have a degree in graphic design and fine art. And in all of my classes, uh, we never even broached the subject of how to run a business. And I'm curious, maybe things have changed a little in recent years, although I suspect maybe not. Um, but, uh, why do you think it's something that they ignore in academia? And like, if, if you could control curriculum, so it's like, I know it's a big, if like, what would you include for an artist and their undergrad to learn about running a business? Mm. I think it's multi-layered. I think on the one hand, a lot of times you have artists running the department who are older and came from a world where we didn't touch that stuff, right? So like younger artists might be more interested in it or might feel the need for it more acutely. And especially, I think if you think about who's running the art department, they're professors who have a secure job Mm -hmm. and the people they're teaching do not and are worried about that. So that is a little bit of a disconnect. Um, I do see, I mean, honestly, I am hired by art schools quite a bit to oh, teach nice. practice, um, which is both good and bad. I mean, it's good for me. I enjoy doing yeah. it, but really I wish they had it as a part of their curriculum and not like plugging me in. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I don't know. Like I also went to an art school where I learned nothing about yeah, this. Literally. And actually spent years in bitterness, like, wait a minute, what quarterly taxes? What is this? Why did nobody tell me? (laughs) You feel bamboozled. Well, I mean, and there's, you know, some degrees in the humanities where they probably never teach this stuff, but there are, you know, I remember the architecture program was really close with my art program and they they had a five-year like professional degree. So by the time they're in their last year, they were kind of gearing up with how to work with a firm and how to, and if, you know, probably still not enough guidance, but it just feels like sometimes the art world kind of gets left out. And especially where it's a world where you're being released as an entrepreneur and you're not Mm -hmm. plugging in and working. And then eventually you get your footing in an industry and then you start your own thing. I feel like it can really, um, you know, we kind of have let down a lot of artists. I think with the social media and the internet now artists are sort of aware of that and they find their 
you know, information other places. But mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, at least when I graduated, it was the last conversation I had with my professor. He was like, well, you really ought to move to a big city and you really ought to go to parties. And that's your advice. And it was good advice, but it was also like not enough. <laughs> it is not enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, cause a lot of these departments share surveys with me and I have seen, you might be surprised at how high the demand is for tax information amongst like undergraduate art students. It is, I have seen surveys from New England colleges that are like, name it as the number one issue that people want to learn about um, art students. And I think sometimes like, you know, that artist stereotype is alive and well. I think sometimes like the administration thinks it's true. Like, oh, they won't be able to handle this. Or we don't want to bother finding the person who can teach this or putting it into our curriculum, you know? Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I think they're doing what they can, but I do think that it is so necessary and um should be better. And and yeah. the demand is there. I got booked at um Boston University for oh, nice. a tax talk. Yeah, it was I mean, I have a strong relationship. That's where I got my MFA in painting. Um so I have a strong relationship with them. But they booked me for 5 p.m. on a Friday to talk mm-hmm. to undergraduates for two hours about taxes. And I was like, is no one's gonna show up? up? Yeah, I was like, are you sure about this timing? Like I really would like to talk about you just bring why. the keg with them in that point. <laughs> yeah. And this was the crazy thing. It was booked. It was a full, it was like standing room only. And I honestly, I was floored by that. <laughs> I'm not surprised, but what a testament to how hungry people are for that. You know, and loosely, I, I don't know as much about it, but like my theory is just that I think I, I think it's overwhelming to tell people that you're going to have to be an entrepreneur. I think it's a really mm-hmm. scary thing to be like, hey, I'm going to try to sell you this, you know, $90,000 degree over four years. And uh, by the way, when you're done, like you have to go out and make it on your own. And I think that that can be really intimidating. And these are places trying to make, you know, businesses too. And I think that that might be part of their, their blind spot, but I I love how I feel like maybe you can speak to this, like more recently, uh, younger people who are going to school for art are realizing the value of like, I need to figure out how to run a business and I need to figure out, you know, and I think it's social media too. You see people do it. Like people have followed me go from, you know, making artwork on my yoga mat in my, you know, in my tiny studio apartment to, you know, a room in my house. And now I have a backyard studio. So, you know, if they were kids, teenagers, and now students, they, they're like, okay, like if she can do it, I can, I'm, I hope people think if she can do it, I can do it. Cause I'm the least qualified person, or at least I was when it comes to running a business. But, you know, I think people are seeing it and I'm wondering if you see that reflected in people's appetite for tax information. Mm-hmm. Well, I think people tend to get the appetite once they feel the pain. I mean, Fair. <laughs> I don't think people are like, oh, it's Saturday night. I'm going to curl up with this thick tax binder. You know, (laughs) but when your taxes are due and you're like, wait, I have no idea how to do this. Oh my God. Then you're like, okay, I'm ready for a class, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love that. And luckily there's people like you who have amazing websites and lots of wonderful resources out there. So if you are like, have an appetite, definitely stay following you. But I have another question though. This one's kind of general. Could I ask you like, why are taxes so complicated? (laughs) I, I read in you, you did an interview, a wonderful interview in the creative business handbook that your first experience was somebody missed a $4,000 deductible. And it's funny because last year, something similar happened to me. I missed a QBI deduction and it was like about four thousand dollars and it feels like stuff like this shouldn't happen you know we we paid the money to have someone look at our taxes and it still slipped through the cracks like why is it so complicated and why does why is 
variables like four thousand dollars even possible and to me that's still a pretty huge amount of money so <laughs> yeah I could go really deep on this or there's a lot of layers to this one yeah. um I mean one reason that our tax code is complicated is because we allow lobbying in the United States. And so we have very big companies. I won't name them, but I bet you know, I bet you've seen them in your local strip mall. Yeah. But, um, you know, they lobby the U.S. government to make sure that we don't teach taxes in high school, which I think we should because oh. it's part of civics. Yeah. And, um, and, and what does that mean? That means that we have a population who has no idea what they're doing. And then they go out with a business model that is literally Super Bowl commercials to say, oh, taxes are so horrible. They're so awful. The IRS is so scary and so mean. You should never try to deal with them. Just pay us. We'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. Isn't that convenient that that's how they make their money? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm constantly directing people to the IRS website to use these amazing free tools that your tax dollars have paid for. And people are like, ooh, the IRS, the bad guy. I'm like, actually, you know, it's your government and it's your money that paid for that tool. And they're really actually there to help you. (laughs) Like you're sold this idea that the IRS is evil and horrible, uh, you know, by companies that want to make money off something that is, you know, legally mandated should be free for 70% of all taxpayers. Yeah. Did you even know that part? Like that's... I, I know, I know. Well, I know that in other countries that it's, it's, they send you basically a receipt at the end of the year and they do it and you can dispute it, but pretty much it's simple as that. And I know that, you know, that companies have lobbied against that because their business hinges on, you know, that disconnect, big, scary IRS, confusing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I don't have time. Most people are, are time strapped and, you know, and I, I get it and it's complicated. And, you know, a lot of people like me, we're not particularly great at math. And so it can seem really intimidating, but yeah, I mean, that's un- unfortunately, no, I, I love that you explained into that, that there, it isn't just complicated because you're bad at math. There's like major business interest in making it complicated and more importantly, making it seem complicated. Making it seem complicated. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if you're like late night Googling tax things, which I know a lot of people around April 10th often are doing, IRS website is really a great resource. I mean, they really do. They really are there to help taxpayers. I know it doesn't feel like that. We're not trained that way, but they've got all kinds of cool tools on there. There's like a, where's my refund tool? There's a paycheck checkup tool. There's all kinds of tools that are really like helpful, useful and free. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, and not only free, but you've paid for it. I mean, likely if you've had a job, if you've worked, it's yours. It's yeah. Yeah. I love that reframe and I really appreciate that. Um, but I, I'm curious though, I know you're an artist and we like way glossed over that. Although I think, am I in your studio right now? Is that what I'm looking at? This is, this is my, well, there's, there's some art tucked under that stairwell back yeah. there, but, um, my, yes, I am an artist. This is not my studio. This is my office, my tax office. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I love it. But I have a studio. I actually have a show that's up right now. At the- <laughs> yes. Tell me, tell us about your artwork. And, um, you know, at the end, if you wanted to say like, is there, is there any, have you found that your work with like taxes and small businesses has influenced your art any? That's, that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, well, my, I am an artist. I've always been an artist. I didn't like start this company and stop being an artist. Um, and wow, I really feel it having just, you know, put this solo show together. Yeah. Congrats (laughs) though. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, um, I do really super realistic, um, very, very detailed work about, you know, like everyday objects. Um, my latest show, I did these like reproductions of books. They're like wooden sculptures 
painted with every little letter on the cover of the books. Um, and uh, they're a lot of fun. I really enjoy them. <laughs> oh, beautiful. No, I love it. I love creative work. That's like, there's a lot of labor and I just, I love it. I love, you know, anything that's like art and craft kind of in one. And I feel like I'm envisioning that and I'll share. Um, I'd love to share your work on there. I do. I love when people are able to do like art and something else. And I always am just so impressed when people can do that. And I'm always curious what their art looks like. I'm like, I wonder like one day we'll see little uh, turbo tax, you know, made out of ceramics and you're, no, no, I know you wouldn't get that, but uh, well, you know, there is, there is definitely a connection because when I was, when I was a child, I was diagnosed with an OCD. It's never actually been treated. It kind of was low level enough. It was able to skate by, but I do have one. Um, a low grade OCD and, uh, you can fully see it in my work. It's very, very detailed. It's like definitely from that kind of a brain. And then when it came to taxes, I realized like I really enjoy tax work because it's detailed. (laughs) No, I love that. I love that. That's so cool. I love artists that it's, I don't know. I know that's, this isn't me being a good podcast. So it's just being like, Oh, I love it. But I I do. (laughs) I thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I think it's wonderful. I think humans are so cool, but I are cool. I agree. It's the best. Oh, but one thing I really admire about you and sunlight tax is that you're not just focused on taxes. You're also interested in helping artists and investing and planning for retirement, which is all so incredibly important. As you say, you can achieve what you call F you money, which I love by the way. Um, (laughs) could you explain to us what exactly F money money is? I know we're shifting slightly from taxes. Um, but I did want to touch on that because I think it's a fantastic idea. And it kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier with like valuing yourself and that value in in your money. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things, like one of the reasons that I studied taxes and decided to start a business doing taxes and teaching taxes to artists was because tax is the part you can't avoid. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to meet people at the place where they really need it. But in learning about the tax code, I had to learn the whole thing. And I had to learn like, oh my gosh, there's these incredible accounts that the U.S. government sets up for us so that we can have accelerated savings, basically to make it easier to meet really big uh, savings goals. And these are, you know, the big the big one is retirement, but there's also tax advantage accounts for health savings, for mm-hmm. education savings, um, even for some other stuff. And um So there's this cool tax benefit when you use them where it's like the money you put into them comes off your reportable taxable income for the year. It's like it's a tax shelter that is for middle working class people. I mean, it's really cool. And when I learned about it, I was like, wait, but we're not teaching this to people. And if somebody isn't sitting with an accountant who's willing to take the time and be patient and explain how this works, these people will never know these things exist and they won't use them. And uh, I'm really sad to say that my experience working for other tax firms when I was training is that tax firms operate on volume and they are just grinding through as many tax returns as they can. And they do not teach that stuff because that's not a good tax model, right? You don't make money that way. And so they're not taking the time to teach people about the tax shelters. So just ethically for myself, I feel an obligation and a strong desire to teach The people who need it, right? Rich people don't need another tax shelter, but we do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes people can really accelerate their wealth by, you know, exploiting and using some of those tax, you know, loopholes. And obviously the more money you make, the more they 
a mass and it's, it's a totally different part of the world, but yeah, I mean, I love that you, you found these and it does, you know, when you do start to learn about it, it does kind of feel like just like free money, like, um, that, you know, a health savings account yeah. and stuff like that are things that I've kind of found recently. And it makes a huge difference. And like, you know, I'm so glad that you have say that. Yeah, I know. And I'm like, previous me is like rolling my eyes at myself, but, but I mean, I think it speaks to kind of what I feel like is emerging, like the, the message of our conversation, which is like valuing yourself enough to look into something that can feel kind of scary, but shouldn't be enough mm-hmm. to really do the research and say like, Hey, you're already going to be spending on, you know, medicine and all these other things. Like, can I give myself the, like, just like as an artist, like give yourself the love and space to make art, but can you also give yourself the love and space to find a way to make, you know, the system, you know, that I think in a lot of ways is really broken actually work for working class, regular people. And I I think that that's, that's beautiful. And I know you have a lot more like resources on your website. If people are curious about a few money, um, I have one more question and then I would love for you to share more of your resources with us, but it was actually kind of a last, uh, a question I thought of, um, recently, I have some friends who are artists who are also disabled. I find that there's actually a pretty big community of people who are disabled and artists um, because of the nature of their, you know, their lifestyles and their disabilities. One thing that's kind of near and dear to my heart is like a lot of disabled people have like a threshold of money that they can't have in order, or they lose their benefits for a lot of assistance that they need for either health or therapies, um, which is an unfortunate, I think, kind of situation that it puts a lot of people in. It's sort of like man poverty in a lot of ways. And that, that's my own personal take on it. But anyways, um, I wonder if you have any advice for someone who, um, you know, finds themselves at a spot where they want to make money off their art so they can, you know, make money and, 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 you know, sustain themselves, but also has to unfortunately be cognizant of that upper limit. Is there anything that they can do, or do you have any advice for someone who finds himself in that predicament? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I've had many clients in that position and it's, uh, it can be scary and you want to be in good hands. Um, so I think educating yourself as much as possible about what advantages there are tax advantaged accounts are a really good thing for you to know about specifically if you're in that position, because they can lower your taxable income and sometimes taxable income, you know, adjusted gross income is the kind of key number that they're basing that off of on your tax return. So knowing you, if you use these accounts, will it adjust your AGI, you know, for that, that key number, you have to keep your eye on like a hawk. That's really Mm -hmm. important. Um, a resource that I would share for people that's free is that um, there is a program called VITA, which is a federal program that is administered through local nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the IRS has a VITA finder tool. I'm not sure it's amazing, but yeah, I'll try to get a link to you for that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but that is a service. It's called the Volunteer Income Tax uh, so I forget what the A yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, A. Yeah. <laughs> a for uh, I forgot. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they um, they have free uh tax preparation available through it, and you can often go and sit at a nonprofit. You want to generally go as early in the year as you can, um, because they get full and busy. But usually it's like a retired tax preparer, somebody with some training, some experience who can help and is very used to a population that has constraints like that and will help walk you through it um, because it can really be so important to keep your eye on that number. You don't want to just like go to a random tax preparer who's just going to like plug in the numbers and be done with you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need some, you need some TLC around that. 
Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I will put all of the links that you mentioned in the show notes, uh, which brings me to, again, like your website is a fantastic resource. I will say, you know, when I do my intro, like just to the top, like if somebody's begrudgingly cl- clicked on this episode, because they need to learn about taxes, but they'd rather read about it, please. Your website is fantastic. Yeah. I can tell you put a ton of love and care into it. And as someone who, you know, works hard on their own website, I, I appreciate when I see it, but could you tell us where people could find you and some, um, some resources you have? I know you have a lot. I took advantage of one of your free resources, but could you plug away because you have so many helpful things and I can't wait for people to find you. Sure. Well, um, if you're interested in that conversation we had about the FU money, mm-hmm. um, I do, I offer a free class. I think you've been to it, mm-hmm. um, but you can go at any time and pick a time that works for you on demand. If you go to go.sunlighttax.com slash register, um, you can pick a time that works and you can watch this one hour training where I talk about kind of some systems that help you get organized as an artist with your taxes. And then I spend some time showing you the math of how a tax shelter works, like what money it actually saves you over time um, when you're investing the money and using a tax shelter. So that is really interesting. Um, and that free class also talks a little bit about the the larger program that I offer, which basically exists to do both of those things, set up the systems to help you manage your taxes and also build a giant pile of FU money, as I like to say. (laughs) Love it. Um, Yeah. So that's a great place to start. And also, if you just want to go to my website, sunlighttax.com, I have a free printable um, one-page visual guide to tax deductions. Um, I have six different versions, one for visual artists, one for performers, one for makers. So you can kind of pick the one that fits you the best. And it's just a, you know, it's designed by an artist. Yes, (laughs) It's like a visual guide. It's kind of like a translator. I have one column shows what you call the expense and then one column that matches it to what the IRS calls that expense. So it's really like a translator to help you get your categories kind of in the right place. Um, and, and also it's got all the tax rules for the year so that you, never miss a deduction and you kind of know that you're documenting them exactly correctly. You can trust it. Yes. Oh, I love that. And then where can people follow you? Where's the best place to reach out to you? Sure. Um, Sunlight Tax for everything. So Sunlight Tax is my website. And on Instagram, I'm Sunlight Tax. Definitely send me a DM. Tell me that you listen to this podcast and I would love to chat with you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And uh, you also have a podcast. I'll link that too. If people want to keep diving in, if they're loving listening to tax information, if it's just like scratching an itch and Hey, you never know. I mean, I, my husband has become kind of a tax geek in recent years. So, and he was a writer. So it's, it's funny who, (laughs) who catches the bug, so to speak, Um, Uh but we can all link that in there. And I just want to say a humongous thank you, uh, not only for taking the time to talk to me, but for putting this resource out there. Again, it is, it feels like a huge gap in the market. So for you to take this on, uh, it's just such a helpful part of the community. So just like a huge thank you to you. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for hosting me. It's just awesome to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for being here. I wanted to also encourage you guys to leave a review. The feedback is incredibly helpful. And if you leave a review, I will read your handle or your name on the following week's episode. Take care, y'all, and happy creating.